Isaiah chapter 54. Continuing our series here on the breastplate of the high priest. Isaiah 54 and verse 11. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted. Behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires. And, when I, and I will make thy windows of agates and gates of carbuncles and all the borders of pleasant stones. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for, Lord, this opportunity to uh, bring forth your word. We thank you, Lord, for the, uh, the song service and the children that have, have given their contributions, Lord, and, and the offering. Lord, we thank you for everything we, we do. We pray that, Lord, as we delve into your word, Lord, that, God, you would be everything that I need you to be. Lord, help us to, Lord, glean, Lord. Uh, may the Holy Spirit help us to glean, Father, the things from your word that, Lord, are pertinent to us uh, in our everyday living. And Father, for what you do, we'll give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The uh, last Sunday when we opened this up, of course, we're talking about the breastplate, that little plate that the high priest wore um, uh, in his uh, doing his priestly duties with the tabernacle. And there were the 12 stones, and the Bible gives us the order of those 12 stones. It just wasn't a random order, but those 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And they were supposed to be worn close to the, the heart of the, the high priest. And the Bible says that those stones were a memorial unto God continually. And, you know, it's, it's I, I gave this analogy, you know, uh, about Eugene, you know, when he does his bird work, you know, we, you can go in there and, and uh, see, you know, he, his work and he, he does beautiful work. When you just go in there and you see it's it's a bird that he's stuffed and and uh, you know and he's gonna put it some kind of background or something and and return it you know but I've been over there a few times when when uh, he's taking his chair and he's scooted right up to the table and he has his glasses on and he's got a little paintbrush and he's doing detailed stuff and and he always says you know how can anybody not believe God when they've seen how a, a bird is created and all the details. That, that's always stuck with me. But, you know, watching him get into the, the, the details of a bird, I never, I never, I just never observed it that way. It never got my attention until I seen him doing what he does. And I, I, I look at the Word of God the same way. The Word of God, we can read things, you know, and and stories and so on, but when you take and get into the details, and that's what's so unique about word, God's Word, is it, it's, it's got so many details, if you want to find them. You know, I, I would have, to me, just seeing him do what he does, you know, was basic to me, but when I seen the detail, you know, he has all his little uh, different uh, uh, containers of colors and things, and He'll take a brush and, and brush the, the feathers just right, you know, how they're supposed to fluff. And just everything is, is, is perfect, perfection, detail. And, and that's the way the Word of God is. You know, a lot of times when we read about the ministry of the high priest, we just, we, we, we see that obviously he, he had to have a priestly garment. And the, the Bible gives us detail as to uh, what his priestly garment was supposed to look like, the materials that made it up and et cetera. But there, when you look at the details, there's meaning in the details. And that's what I like to get a hold of when studying the word of, word of God. Just as he gets into the details of his birds, I like to get into the details of the word of God. 
And so once again, these, these 12 stones that were on this, this breastplate, you know, and they, they could have just been 12 names written down on a, on a plaque or something and put on his, on his chest. But that's not what God wanted. God wanted 12 specific stones, but it engraved in those stones were the, were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's a reason for that. And, you know, once again, if you did a study on stones, you know, and, and in the word of God, and you went into the book of Revelation and you've seen the city and the, and the stones and stuff that make up the foundations of, of, the, of, of the new city and so on, you know, they all kind of tie in together. But, but understanding all this is just is, is, is fascinating. So Judah was a, uh, as we explained, he was the fourth son of Leah. Uh, Leah was the wife of Jacob, and uh, it wasn't Jacob's first pick. He wanted Rachel. And, of course, we all know the story how uh, he was tricked, and Laban gave him Leah, and, and Rachel came afterward. But he had four sons right, all, right out of the gate with, with um, Leah, and the, the fourth one, she had more than that, but uh, the fourth son that she had was Judah. And Judah was an interesting uh, character in Scripture. And let, let me, I, I wrote down a, a brief synopsis of his, of his life. And I just want you to know what kind of man Judah was. In time, Judah and his brothers grew jealous over uh their younger brother, Joseph, they, they were so envious of him because Joseph was so favored by his father because Joseph came from Rachel, the one that Jacob really loved. And, uh, and so Jacob, he, he gave him this special coat of many colors, the Bible says. But when Joseph had this dream and that one day his brothers would be bowing down to him, and he expressed that dream to his brothers, and there's 12 of them, and, and they couldn't handle it. They said, this is, this is nonsense. And uh, so they, the hatred for him, the jealousy for him, it, it intensified. And this hatred grew to the point that the brothers actually wanted to kill Joseph. But Reuben, who was the firstborn, said, no, we're not going to go down that road. And it's really interesting because Reuben was the firstborn from Leah, and he was entitled to the birthright, the inheritance, and all this. But because he, of his immorality uh, in his father's bed, he, that was removed from him. And so it went to the next firstborn, which would have been Joseph from Rachel. You know, and, and I don't want that to be confusing, but just trying to give you a gist of what we talked about last week. But it was Reuben that came up and said, no, we're not going to kill him. And uh, so what, what Judah did is he stepped up to the plate and he came up with the idea, well, let's sell Joseph to the Midianites. Uh, and, you know, let's, let's ask 20 shekels of silver for him. And uh, we'll take his coat, that coat of many colors, and we'll kill a, a goat and we'll take the blood and we'll pour it all over the coat and we'll take it back to dad and say, oh man, dad, look, this is, we're, we're all sorry, but you know, a, a wild beast uh, got a hold of Joseph and killed him. And here's his, here's his cloak to, to, to prove that. And of course, we know the story that Jacob could never get over the loss of, of his prized son, uh, uh, Joseph. So in time, Judah married a Canaanite woman. Uh, and they had three sons, interesting names, Er, Onan, and Selah. Now, he took this wife, and with these three sons, uh, you know, the way they arranged things, they arranged marriages back then, and so he went and found this woman, Tamar, for his, his firstborn son. But his firstborn son, Er, was so evil that God took him out. Uh, God uh, killed him, took his life. And so what they did back in that day is Judas told his, Judah told his secondborn son, Onan, 
I want you to marry uh, her, uh, Tamar. I want you to marry her and, and have children from, you know, keep the, the family line going from your uh, firstborn heir. And uh, Onan didn't want to do that, and so God smote him. And so they, he had one, Judah had one son left. The youngest was uh, Shelah, but he was so young. And, and he said, look, Tamar, just wait until he grows up and you can have my, my younger son. Well, it, it, it never happened. And uh, so, you know, uh, she never remarried and she waited on this youngest son, but he, it never came to, 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 to pass. And uh, matter of fact, uh, after some years, Judah's wife died, Shua. And uh, Tamar realized that she was not going to be given in marriage to the youngest son. And so uh, she had her own idea as to what she would do. One day she found out that her father-in-law was heading to uh, shear his sheep. She removed her widow's garment and dressed up as a harlot. And as she was along the road, uh, Judah passed by, and Judah did not recognize her, but he propositioned her. And, uh, and, and of course, that's what she wanted. And he went un in unto her, and she became pregnant, and uh, he threatened her with death for uh, her uh, harlotry. But um, <laughs> she said, uh, the signet and some of the belongings that I have here, though, are yours. <laughs> Bummer. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, her death was canceled, and she was with child, but she was with twins, and at delivery, one of the twins, uh, he put out his hand and they said, well, this is the first child. And they put a scarlet thread around his hand and he pulled the hand back in and the other child come, came out. And, uh, and so, you know, it was a, a very unique situation in this, this delivery of these, these twins. And so as, as time went on, uh, God would use this this unusual circumstances of these twins to establish the two lines of genealogy in the tribe of Judah. Overall, the blessings uh, that came upon Judah is an example, once again, of the richness of God's grace to those that are undeserving, which was Judah, because he lives just such a terrible life. But yet, Judah was plays a very, very prominent position in scripture. The, the stone that was ascribed to Judah was the Sardis stone. And this was placed first on the breastplate. And Judah, his name means praise. And so when Leah had finally had this, this son, she said, it is not um, a time of sorrow, but a time of praise because she had Judah, and therefore uh, that's what his name means. And so as we talked about last Sunday, you know, one of the things that God really looks for, now this is number one on the breastplate, and in these 12 stones on this breastplate are supposed to be the characteristics that God wants to cultivate in your life and in my life. That's what it's all about because Isaiah 54 says that I, I, I'm going to lay stones about you, a foundation of stones. And so this is what God is trying to do with our life. It's foundational to make us into the Christian, amen, <coughs> excuse me, that God really wants for each of our lives. And so one of the first things that God looks for in a Christian is praise, amen. Praise will relieve a lot of things that uh, stress from uh, things that we experience in life. Uh, you know, there's, I mean, if we're ever uh, um, a time in our lives where depression is around, stress and anxiety, and, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things going on because we just don't know how the, the day is going to end. Years ago, you could say, well, it's going to be a good day today, but you can't really say that anymore because things change faster than what we can process them. Amen. 
you know, there's, there's violence everywhere. You see it. it, it it's, it's, it's in the, the mainstream media. It's in our newspapers. It's on the radio. It's on the internet. There's violence everywhere. It's just it, in the cities, it's, it, it's plagued with violence. In Proverbs 15.1, the Bible says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stirreth up anger. So the, the point is this with this stone. You know, we, we, we need to change our, our mode of thinking. You know, oftentimes, you know, we're, we're, we're all human beings here. And our, our default uh, uh, posture is so much in the flesh. Many times we, we respond with a fleshly response. You get mad at me, I'm going to get mad at you. Um, if I have something difficult happen to me, I'm, you know, it's going to upset me. It's going to depress me. But God is saying, no, that's not the way I want you to respond. God's ways are not our ways. Amen. God says, I want you to praise. When something bad is happening in your life, I want you to praise me. Well, yeah, really? Really? You know, just what I went through, I am supposed to praise the Lord? Yeah, you are. That's the number one thing that God wants to cultivate in your life and in my life. Now, now granted, some people are very, very, very difficult to be around. They're just not very pleasant. I understand that. But you're to control yourself. And the way that we control ourselves is to have a posture of praise. Amen. Lord, I can't help it. That guy's the way that he is or that woman is the way that she is, but I'm going to praise you anyway because you allowed my path to cross with theirs. Amen. And if anything, just let them know that I'm different and I'm not going to, I'm not going to go toe to toe with them. I'm just going to praise you and Lord, give you the benefit of, of everything good that can come out of this tumultuous circumstance. Judah prevailed over his brethren, is what the Bible says. And, and, and what this means is, and, and what, it doesn't go with our nature. Praise will put the enemy to flight. It simply will. Let me try it. I've, I, I, that was your assignment this past week. You know, when, when you find that you're in a difficult situation and things aren't going maybe the way that you, you want them to go, just try praising the Lord. Amen. Just try giving him praise and so on. You know, the, the book of Revelation tells us that Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one that prevails out of praise. If you really want to try something that's just totally opposite of your nature, try praising the Lord when things are difficult. And I gave you a few examples of that when uh, last week uh, in my own life and in Debbie's life when we went through some difficult times in, 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 our, in our ministry and so on. We just found ourselves praising the Lord and then everything just seemingly works out. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 20, and you don't have to, to turn there or anything, but you know, David uh, and his army, uh, you know, he had a mighty army. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, the first tribe that is mentioned that was ready for war in David's army was Judah, the tribe of Judah. And uh, matter of fact, the Bible literally says the tribe of Judah was the host of God, like the army of God. When they, that diagram that I gave you, and you, according to scripture, the tribe of Judah was just outside of the, the, the eastern gate there uh, in the diagram of the tabernacle. All these tribes, you know, they, they, they had a formation around the tribe. Uh, tabernacle that they when they camped and so on they just couldn't camp at random they had to uh, there was detail there they had to uh, just like in the military there was a specific formation that they had to to camp in all around if you ever see uh, some of the pictures of of the the 12 tribe of Israel around the tabernacle it's it's fascinating it, it really is but when they went out to war when they went to war, it was Judah, the tribe of Judah, the Sardis stone, that number one stone. It was that stone there that went out first. 
And once again, it's, it's interesting that when we look at this in Scripture, we look at 12 men, 12 names that represent 12 tribes. But when you look at it through the eyes of God, God sees 12 stones, you see. So, so God's perspective is, is so different than ours. And, and, and once again, trying to, to train ourselves to look at it through, through God's eyes is, or from his perspective is, is, is somewhat challenging. And so, but when you look at it from God's eyes, you see more than people, but you see beauty. You see reflection. Amen. You see something that's priceless, you know, that's moving about and so on uh, 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 amongst the land. Uh, you know, when, when, <laughs> I like this, when, if you can get into the habit of praising the Lord, regardless of what's going on, you're going to start a war. Because the devil doesn't like praise. If there's ever one thing that he hates out of God's people, that's when they praise the Lord. Amen. Because there's power in praising the Lord. Judah, when his father Jacob was dying, and, and, and we'll, we'll get there in a little bit in more detail, but Judah or Jacob gathered all his sons together and he's going to bless them. He's just getting ready to, to die. And so he calls them all there and, and Jacob begins to bless uh, Reuben and, and so on. And he gets down to, to Judah in, in Genesis uh, 49.8. And he says, thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. What a fascinating statement. Thine hand shall be upon the neck of thine enemies. You know, it's interesting that in Genesis 3.15, if you go clear back to the fall, there was a prophecy getting that it shall bruise thy head. Genesis 3.15, and I'll put enmity between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. That was the messianic promise that someday, at some point in the future, way out there, a Messiah would come and he'd put a hurting on on the devil. Amen. He was going to bruise his head, Satan's head. Well, what did Joshua do uh, when the five kings that formed a league against the people of Gibeon uh, in Joshua chapter 10, there was five kings that were trying to come against uh, the people of Gibeon. And, and so Joshua went out there after them and so on in Joshua chapter 10. And when they caught these five kings, it's really interesting. You know, once again, this is some of the the detail. He had, he had his men go up to those five kings that they had captured. They're laying on the ground on their back. And Joshua says I, to his, his captains and, and so on, he says, I want you to take your foot and put it on their neck. I mean, that's what the Bible says. I, um, uh, I, I didn't write it round, down, but if, if you want to look it up in Joshua 10, 24, and so they, they, they did that. These, these men went and they put uh, uh, their feet upon the necks of these kings to show that they were superior, that they were defeated. Now, when it, when it comes to th this whole, you know, trying to bring some substance to this whole uh, uh, idea, this, this thought process here, with the, with the life of Joshua and his, his men and so on and getting these five these five kings, when, when they had these five kings, they went to each of their, their cities and they defeated each of those cities. But what was so interesting about it is the Bible in detail says that all of Israel went with him. All of Israel, five times it says that, all of Israel went with him. And then at the very end of chapter 10, when they were just returning home, it says and all Israel went, went with him. And so there's some ingredients to to some blessings to this, this concept of praise that God has put out before us. Number one, it's unity. These men were loyal to their king. Israel was loyal to Joshua. Amen. Whatever they, uh, Joshua wanted them to do, they followed his orders. Amen. And, and victory was inevitable. You know, just a, a thought here. Are we loyal to our king? the king of kings, 
and Lord of Lords. So unity is really important. Praise and unity is a very, very powerful combination. Praise is always the beginning of putting the enemy down while unity keeps the enemy down. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9, the Bible says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. See, I just wish we could get this detail. The Christian life is not meant to be a life of isolation and loneliness. If you're a person that just wants to do your own thing, you're missing it by a mile. You're missing it. Because Christianity is not, is not designed for that. Amen. Again, if two lie together, they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. God wants there to be unity in our lives as Christians. We're not to be warring at each other. Amen. We're not supposed to be difficult with each other. Amen. We are supposed to be so unified. Amen. So that when we go forth and we have needs, amen, we are going to conquer Amen. Well, Judah has a blessing in this uh, 49.10. And, and in your own time, it would be good for you to read it. But it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now, picture Jacob in his tent or his accommodations there and his house. And he's old and he's frail. And he has all these men there. And he gathers his sons around and he starts blessing them and giving them their inheritance and so on. You know, let me just take a detour just for a brief moment here. Man, I'd love to have that opportunity with my family just to have my family around as I'm getting ready to check out. I think that would be so cool. Come on, kids, let's, let's talk, you know, and have that, have that relationship with God that you can pronounce a blessing on them, I think would be, would be that, that's one of my heart's desires. Whether it'll come, I don't know. But I've, I've always, this has always been a very beautiful passage of Scripture to me. But he says this, this scepter shall not depart from Judah. Once again, the Judah is the number one stone. Uh, in the order of the high priest breastplate. But the, the scepter is an instrument of authority. And Shiloh means tranquility, peace, or man of peace. In Psalm 45, 6 through 8, the Bible says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of ivory places whereby they have made thee glad. And so we see that according to Psalm 45, that gladness and joy are powerful characteristics that are linked with praise and authority. Glad, you know, praise the Lord. That's you. How can you not be glad when you're praising the Lord? Amen. How can you not be joyful when you're praising the Lord? But it's interesting that authority is attached to that. Authority is, is, is something that is everywhere in our lives. Authorities. It's in our homes. It's in our jobs. It's, it's in relationships with, with other people. It's in church. There's authority. But that, that's the whole concept of, of our existence is, is authority. I mean, we're under a government. We're under state officials. You know, authority is, is what brings organization. It's supposed to bring organization and, and, and success. It, it's supposed to bring something positive. Authority is if it's, if it's done right. But you know, the authority, now, according to the scriptures here, if authority is played out right, 
Now, now let your mind just wander with this. There is supposed to be joy and gladness when we're under authority. I could mention some places. If I wanted to get political right now, I could tell you that there's not a lot of joy and gladness under the some of the authority that we're under. There's just simply not. I'm just trying to make a statement here. But the point is this. You know, I'm, I'm the authority of my home, the authority of the church, authority of, of, a, of a business. And you have authoritative positions here in, in your own spectrums and so on. But this, this is the detail that I want you to consider. Is there joy and gladness for those that are under your authority? Is there joy and gladness in the lives of those that are under your authority? If you're really trying to praise an individual, and what I mean by that is compliment them, it will show in your authority. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.8, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. You know, once again, the scepter is of, of authority. But in, in Galatians 4, 6, he says, because you and me are now sons of God. And he has sent forth his spirit of his son into our hearts that we cry, Abba, Father, wherefore we are no more servants, but we are, we have become uh, uh, more, we're more than a servant, but a son. And if a son, we are heirs of God through Christ. And so all this all this authority, all these things that are supposed to be prevalent in our, in our life as a Christian, it should be first and foremost. Are people really glad and joyous when they're around you? Do you put off a, an air about you with your authority that, that makes people that are under you feel comfortable? feel like they have purpose. Oh, it's quiet in here. The Bible says that his scepter is a scepter of righteousness. The Bible also says in Matthew chapter 5, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We have so much authority, folks, as Christians that's not supposed to be abused. It's, it's a righteous authority. But how is it felt by those that are around us? Remember, two Sundays ago, we were in Mark 16. And he said, you should take up serpents and and, and if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt you. And, you know, and once again, folks, I'm not a snake handler, never been, don't care to be. If you want to, you can go somewhere else and do it. I just, I just don't want, uh, I don't believe that scripture applies to that. I really don't. There's people down south that handle snakes and stuff. <laughs> I just, that's just not me. And it's not you either. I don't see it scriptural. But what, what, what Jesus meant when he says you shall take up um, serpents and poisons, I believe he's talking about the influences in our lives, the negative influences that each and every one of us are constantly being exposed to every day, evil influences. But, the, but the, th this is what I want you to get. When we understand Mark 16, then we can begin to understand what it means, amen, to take authority over these adverse influences uh, uh, that try to poison your life from day to day. 
Man, we are so exposed to things, folks. I get so mad when I see something that I'm not supposed to see, and I'm not looking for it. I get so mad when somebody flips off and, and cusses in a rant, or, and, and I get so upset with that. I, it just bothers me, and I'm not even looking for that. And, and, and I wasn't even a part of it. It's just something that they just aired on me, and I, I just can't stand it. I, and I, I know the difference between saved and unsaved, and, and I know all that, but I just don't like to hear it. Amen. I don't like to see certain things. And it shouldn't come out of Christians. I remember one time, <laughs> this one Christian man was underneath the hood, and I, <laughs> I tooted the horn. Oh, did he start cussing. I felt bad. But I thought, regardless, that shouldn't have been in him. And he was embarrassed because I was the pastor listening to his, his comments. Yeah. Life isn't easy, is it? The point is this. When we really understand the power and the effectiveness of praise and authority, unity, it's powerful. It's powerful. There's some people that can praise the Lord, but when it comes to authority, they're lacking greatly in how they implement it. It contradicts their praise. The two should be in harmony. In Genesis 49, 11, The Bible says that, and I, yeah, I wrote it down, binding his foal unto the vine. Now, now, once again, this is Jacob blessing Judah, his son. Binding his foal unto the vine and the asses cold unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and, he, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Now, this is interesting. In Scripture, Whenever the vine is mentioned, the vine speaks of our horizontal movement, you know, moving across the land, moving with each other, expanding and so on. That's what the vine represents in Scripture. You know, the olive tree represents our, our, our vertical relationship and, and, and so on. But the, the vine is always something that is, that is horizontal. Um, you know, what, what is part of my horizontal life? You know, I, I have a, a family, I have a home, I, I have friends, I've got a job, a business, you know, I, I move about horizontally. Horizontally represents my interaction with other people from day to day, you know, just, uh, you know, working at Shields, you know, and all the people that come in, you know, and are asking this, you know, and, and so on. And, you know, that's all part of the, the, the vine of our life, our horizontal, our horizontal movement, even our pleasures and so on. I'm not talking about anything negative, but the vine simply represents all of our horizontal movement. Now, the, the, the Bible says here that the donkey is tied to the vine in, in Genesis 49, 11. The Bible also tells us that in, in John 15, 1, that Christ said, I am the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. Now, let, let, let's just kind of get some detail here. What is a donkey used for? It's used for labor. It's used for putting loads on. It's used for burden carrying. Uh, it can also be used for pleasure, for riding. Um, Every, everything that we do in life, I mean everything, and this is where people just don't want to appreciate this, or they don't want to accept it, but everything that we do in life, folks, is to be tied to the vine. Really? That's just a bummer, man. You know, everything that I got to do has to 
revolve around Christ? Yes, it does. And that's the glory of it. He wants to be involved in everything. He wants to be involved in my, in my, the spiritual facets of my life, but he wants to be involved in the social aspects of my life. He wants to be involved with things that I purchase, things, you know, he, he wants to be involved in everything in my life because he's the vine. I'm the one that, that, you know, has the burden. I'm the one that does this. I'm the one that, does, but I'm supposed to be attached to him. But once again, we get so caught up in that I'm going to live my life the way that I want, and I'll go to church on Sunday, and that's all he's getting on out of me. Now, keep in mind, oh, it's quiet in here this morning. The Sardis stone, that number one stone that was uno on the high priest's breastplate, the Sardis stone is deep red in color. In Proverbs 23, 31, I'm just, I'm loving these details. In Proverbs 23, 31, the Bible says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth color in the cup, when it moveth itself all right. Deep red is the, the blood of grapes. Or, or grape juice. And once again, we can get into so much typology here. The, when it comes to the blood of grapes representing, now once again, Jesus is the true vine. I'm not, I'm not getting something that's abstract here, but I'm just tying all this together. You know, what comes from the vine, grapes and so on. And, uh, you know, but, and the color of the Sardis stone is deep red. Huh, grape wine is grape juice is deep red and so on. So you're just kind of taking these details and bringing them together and so on. But the bottom line is this. If there is ever a color that the devil hates, it's red. Because it represents the blood of Christ. That deep red color. When I have the blood of Christ upon my life, when my Sardis stone is at its best, that's the foundation stone that, that God wants underneath me. Amen. The devil hates the blood of Christ. Here, here's an interesting story. Once again, let me just go out and get another detail. In 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 22, you don't, you don't have to, to, to read this. That whole chapter is just fascinating. I believe it was under the reign of Jehoshaphat. And the Moabites were, and I'm going to give you Metzger's paraphrase here. The Moabites were going to come down on Jeho Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat said, man, isn't there a prophet around here that can, can, can give us some hope? And so Elisha steps up to the scene and, and Elisha says, yeah, I'll, I've got a word from the Lord. And he said, dig some trenches. And they dug trenches all throughout the land. And, and he says, there's not going to be any water. There's not going to be rain or anything like that. But dig these trenches. And so they, they dug these trenches, uh, just as the prophet said. Well, uh, overnight, those trenches filled up with water. And the Moabites were getting ready to come down on Jehoshaphat. But when they, all these Moabites gathered at the border... And they looked out and they saw all these trenches. And the Bible literally says this, the way the sun shined upon the waters, the waters were red like blood. It was just the way the sun was reflecting that gave it that color. Well, what did the Moabite kings do? They said, ah, they thoroughly, they, they must have just got in an argument with each other and they, they started killing each other off. Let's just go over there and, and collect the spoils. Well, the Moabites went in there and man, they got a whooping because they were ready for them. They, they were ready for them. Amen. It's just so neat. Amen. When, when, you, when you look at this, this, this whole concept of, of blood red and this, 
this red car, uh, uh, Sardis stone. And when you start tying things together and, and see that there, there is a language throughout scripture that is attached to it. I can even take it a, a, a little further here. Did you know communion? You know, when we take communion, the juice is red like blood. And there are three ingredients to communion. Number one is what? Praise. Number two is authority. And number three is the blood. But the color, the color red, once again, is like the Sardis. Now, this is what's fascinating. When Jesus performed his first miracle, what did he do? He turned water to wine. Now, some scholars believe this, that what Jesus was doing prophetically there, he was telling the governor at that wedding feast, that your place, that your authority is coming to an end. And I'm going to be the one in the end that is going to be the praise because I'm going to be the one that's in authority because I am the one that is going to give my life as a sacrifice and it's my blood that's going to be shed. As Hannah comes to the piano this morning, When I was in high school, I, I played football. I loved it. And I uh, had, a, had a coach that was a Christian. I wasn't a Christian, but my coach was. He was a good man. And, you know, some, some football teams, they'll have a trick play. You can only do it once or twice. And a trick play is just meant to be used once. But we had this this trick play, and uh, when the ball is, is hiked, instead of everybody colliding at the line of scrimmage and throwing blocks and all this stuff, when that ball is hiked, boom, everybody stood up and went like this, <laughs> started waving their hands. That was the funniest thing to see. And sure enough, boom, the ball was hiking. We all just stood up and started waving our hands, and the other team's just looking, what are they doing? Man, the guy just took the ball and ran right inside for a touchdown. We had him so distracted by our so-called praise <laughs> that, the, that the running back just took that ball and just went right, whoop-de-doo, right in on for a touchdown. That's kind of the way it is with us in the spiritual realm. If you want a touchdown, folks, if you want victory in your life over circumstances, over evil influences, just try praising the Lord. Try praising Him. This lesson is so important. It's so critical because Judah always went first. The tribe of Judah always went first into battle. He went first into battle because it was all about praise. Even when they went to war, they praised God. That's so against our flesh. We have to mentally prepare to to retaliate and fight back. What if he throws this punch? I'm going to block it and give him the other one. And God says, no, I want you to praise. Because see, David had it all right when he went up against Goliath. David said, the battle's not mine. It's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. Amen. The Bible also tells us here in 1 Timothy 2.8. Just think of this. I will therefore that men everywhere. And he's talking to the church. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. That's to be our posture.
Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this lesson here this morning. It's so interesting, Lord, how you could take a man like Judah. A man like Judah. And have such a a prophetic outcome with his life, with his family, with his his offspring. From Judah was Caleb, Jesse, David, Solomon, Daniel, Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Lord, help us here this morning. Lord, we're we're humans, Lord. We, we have our way of doing things. We have our way. We are so caught in the way we have traditionally conducted ourselves that there's absolutely no room for improvement or other options. That's sad. I don't want to be that way, Lord. I want that first foundational stone in my life, Lord, to be full of praise. I want it, Lord, to be paramount in my life, Lord, when I'm up against influences, Lord, that are not conducive to Christian living. Help me to learn and understand this, Lord, and implement it into my life. And Father, for everything that you do, We'll give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. The altar's open this morning. You're welcome to come and pray for a moment.